Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church family. It is great to see everybody this morning. My name is Barrett and one of the pastors here and incredibly grateful to be able to welcome you this morning to ICC, especially if you're new here. Uh, we just welcome you today. I got humbled uh, this week, you guys. I got invited to a graduation, high school graduation. This afternoon, I'll be attending of a boy who was nine, year old, nine years old when I baptized him here in this room. You want to talk about humbling for this guy who thinks he hasn't aged a whole lot <laughs> in time. Um, what a joy, uh, as I have thought this week about just the story of God's faithfulness, the story of gospel ministry here through our church family. Um, I was reflecting on uh, the words of the mom uh, that she sent to us as she was inviting us to celebrate uh, what God has done and, and just thinking, God, you have just been so faithful. The story you have written uh, in the life of the city, in the life of our church, in each of our lives, uh, the story of God's incredible grace. And so it's wonderful this morning to be able to invite you into that story and uh, to be able to have time together in worship today. If you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Romans, where we will be today continuing our series, What He's Done. And we're going to be looking today at the very end of Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking into the whole of Romans chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, book of Romans, and again, we'll be looking at the end of chapter 12 and into chapter 13. The title of today's message is Marks of a Transformed Life. And the subtitle of today's message is Winsome Witness. Winsome Witness. Um, if you have been here in the last few weeks or you have listened or watched online, you have known that the sermons have not gone exactly as planned. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is, is not that anything was wrong, ex except that I just wasn't able to get through the fullness of content that I had prepared. And I love it when God messes with our outlines, right? Um, it keeps us surrendered. But as I have restructured uh, with the intention of being able to finish the book of Romans uh, in the next three weeks, uh, we have been in this study uh, for almost a whole year now. And uh, we really need to finish this study uh, in the next three weeks. But as I have had the heart uh, to conclude this study, and I really put this before the Lord, how is it, God, that you want us uh, to finish our time in your word in this book? Um, one of the things that he's helped me to see is really in the ways that we've started a conversation in the last few weeks around what does it look like in light of God's great mercy to us in Jesus Christ? to live a life that reflects that mercy? What does it look like to be transformed by God's spirit and to really live a life that is marked by his transforming grace within us? Um, 
he's really put on my heart just to continue that conversation in the coming weeks. And so the list that originally I thought was only going to be four points long that I was going to preach in one sermon is now going to be many, many, many points long because we're just going to continue that conversation around what are the marks of a transformed life. And we're going to look at the whole of the rest of Romans through that lens. So essentially, if you've been with us the last few weeks so far, you've gotten three marks. I'll show you those in just a second. Um, But today, we're just going to be continuing that list. And in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to continue that list until we get to Romans chapter 16. Is everybody okay with that? Again, we're looking at these marks because of Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 that says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus loves you. We've been proclaiming in this series the good news of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in his love for you and his grace toward you. He has done a sufficient work to bring you back to him and to change you from the inside out. And in light of his great mercy to you, In light of all that Jesus Christ has done for you, there is an appeal that God makes into your life. Let your life be lived with marks of his mercy. Let your life evidence the mercy that he has so shown you. Let him do a work within you. Don't any longer just go along with the way of the world, but rather live your life centered on God and surrendered to God. And let your life be marked by his transformation within you. So today we're going to continue to look at those marks. We looked at the first three already. And again, these are not new. So you should not have to write these down. I do hope you'll write notes today. If you weren't here, maybe you do need to write them down. Um, But the first three marks that we've looked at so far is full surrender from verses 1 and 2 of 12. Secondly, humble service from verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12. And then sincere love. Verses 9 to 16 of chapter 12. But today, we're going to move forward, and we're going to move forward into a category of marks that I am calling winsome witness. I'm calling a winsome witness. Um, I had this as the category for this section of scripture even before Friday. And then Friday hit, and I knew for sure that that's what I was going to call them. I don't know if you heard the news, if you follow me on social media or pretty much any. Uh, Christian pastor in recent days, um, you've probably seen the news that on Friday, a uh, beloved pastor, uh, theologian, uh, Tim Keller, passed away of pancreatic cancer that he'd been fighting for some time. Tim Keller um, has been an incredible influence in so many of our lives. I'm so grateful for his gospel centrality, his sincere love for Jesus and his calling to live by faith and to be very faithful and effective pastor at heart in a very difficult place in New York City. Planting Redeemer Church, which to this day is one of the largest evangelical churches there in the city and has created City to City Network, helped churches like ours and our pastor's cohort for the last seeming years has been going through Center Church, which is uh, just an incredible 
work helping us know the gospel more and know how to do more effective and balanced ministry in center city contexts like here in Memphis. I was sitting at Libro uh, Bookstore in East Memphis. Some of you guys know Novel, right? The bookstore and the little cafe there. Um, I was sitting there Friday because here in this room, right here on the stage, we were having a graduation for Flick Daycare from Mud Island as part of our commitment to our community. Uh, there were tons of families and uh, little kids running around, and I had to do some work, and I went to East Memphis. I was sitting there um, drinking a latte, and I got the news, and a few seconds later, I get a phone call from this, one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet, Mitchell Morris. Has anybody ever met Mitchell Morris? Mitchell called me. He said, hey. I said, hey. <laughs> he said, I'm just checking in. <laughs> I just started to cry. We cried together on the phone, and by we, I mean it was mainly me with Mitchell kindly listening um, and listening to my own broken eulogy in a way of how Tim Keller has impacted my life. But one of the things that I've been struck by personally as I've thought about his influence on me, but broadly on his influence of the body of Christ is this phrase right here. He has taught all of us how to be faithful to the gospel, but also how to be winsome in our witness to a world who desperately needs to know Jesus. He has put forward a vision and he has lived a life, both personally and pastorally, in a way that has been attractive for the lost to come and to know Jesus Christ. And friends, I call it winsome witness today in part personally because it gives me a small little way to honor one who has been very influential in me and Tim Keller, but also because I want for you and I want for us as a church, I want for our lives to be marked by winsome witness to Jesus Christ. I want us to have lives that are a fragrant aroma of Christ such that as we live, people, even who, especially who, are far from Jesus, can look at our lives, can interact with us, can hear the things that we say, can watch the ways that we live, can observe the manner of our life, can enjoy relationship with us in ways that help them to move toward Jesus. We are called to have lives in light of the mercy of Christ, lives that reflect his mercy and that we live winsomely as witnesses to his mercy in our world. So today's main point is this, because of all that God has so mercifully done for us, we embrace opportunity to live as winsome witnesses to the gospel of his grace. Because of all that God has so mercifully done for us, all of us who are recipients of that mercy, all of us have a personal ownership of the call and the opportunity to live as a winsome witness to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and the good news of his grace. I'm going to show you this in three distinct marks this morning as we continue our study of the marks of a transformed life. I'm going to give you number four, number five, and number six this morning as we look at these marks, and all of them come straight from Romans, end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 13. And as we look at these marks, I really believe that part of what Paul is doing here is he's helping us to, to figure out the specifics of the very simple command that Jesus gave to us. In Matthew chapter five, verse 14, we read, you are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus looks at us, his disciples, and he says, I want you to know I've worked mercifully in your life, and now I have lit a light in you. And you are a light in a dark world, and I am calling you to let your light so shine that others might see you and know something of him. That is the call in our lives. And I really believe that Paul, in, the, in particular, as the passage we're going to be looking at today, what he's doing is helping us to figure this out. Like, we love this verse. But tomorrow, in your workplace, in your relationships, in your home, in your neighborhood, in our city of Memphis, what does it look like to live as lights in the world? And I really believe that what we're going to be looking at today, if you're curious about practical steps to take to grow into this call to be a light in the darkness, today's passage is going to be a tremendous help for you. At the end of uh, chapter 12, um, there, we're going to start reading this morning uh, in verse 17. So if you've got your Bibles, really what happens here in verse 17 is Paul's kind of turning a corner. Most of what we looked at up to this point in the first three marks has been written to our, us and our relationship with God and our relationship with other believers. But here specifically, starting in verse 17 through the end of chapter 13, He's going to be talking to us about a relationship with those who are not in the house of faith, those who are outside of the family, those who do not yet believe. So hear God's word. I read from the ESV, and then we have opportunity together to study it. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror but to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, 
For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is God's word. This morning we're talking together about the marks of a transformed life, what it looks like to live a life that's a winsome witness. Are y'all ready for this? Let me try it again. More engagement. Ready? Y'all ready for this? All right. I taught Emma to pump her fists when she's this week. It was just this week. When she does something great, she says, yes. So anyway, I was hoping today that maybe, yeah, we're ready. First mark that I want to talk about today, mark number four in our series, Marks of a Transformed Life. Mark number four is this, overcoming goodness. Overcoming goodness. This is from chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. And under this one, I just want to say this. When we talk about overcoming goodness, the clear teaching here is in light of God's mercy, here's a call on your life to reflect God's kindness to a hostile and hurting world. To reflect God's kindness to a hostile and a hurting world. One of the marks of your life, if you really know Jesus, if you if his mercy has really filled your heart, if every day you wake up and you understand that all that you have is owed to all that he gives, his, his complete and sufficient, wonderful grace, then oozing out of your life will be an overcoming goodness, kindness in the world, a hostile and hurting world. Now the reason I call it this is because really the crux of of this particular section is there in verse 21. So if you look at your Bibles, there in verse 21, what you find is the theme 
for this whole section. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When I was a little boy, we listened to a guy named Steve Green growing up. Anybody in the 90s listened to a Christian artist who wrote children's music, Steve Green? Okay, thank you, there are seven of us in the room. We feel great, young ones. Um, One of his songs that I still play for my girls today, we listen to a lot of Steve Green, it is available. They have digitalized it, friends of the 90s. You can still play it for your kids. You can terrorize them like my parents terrorized me. No, it's really wonderful, actually, because in there was a song. uh, It's all scripture verses put to music. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Y'all want to keep hearing it? Some of y'all don't know how to answer that. You're like, I think he wants me to say yes, but I really don't. Do not be over, you got it anyway. Overcome by evil, sing it with me. But overcome evil with good. One more time. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's it, it's just that simple. And it just, the reason I said it's terrorizing because it doesn't stop for about five minutes. It just does that over and over. Um, some of y'all already were like, please stop. This is enough. The heart of this passage though is for you to get this deep into your heart. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And if you do this, you're gonna stand in stark contrast to the world. Because the world repays evil for evil, and good for good. To be conformed to the world is quite easy. In fact, in the culture today, other people come against you, how does culture respond? What does culture teach us? You can hate them, you can rage against them, take revenge, you can dismiss them. Uh, A couple of ways we see this in our culture today, public shaming, you can totally get on Facebook, some of us have seen this in our feeds, where people will rage out against somebody else that they don't like or somebody that's hurt them. You can try to humiliate other people. You can gossip about them. You can harass them. You can send them messages anonymously or with your name on it. Cancel culture. Anybody love this? Please don't say yes because I'm about to speak against it, okay? Totally... Nowadays, it's the the way to go. Ostracize people who've made mistakes. They express an opinion that's controversial or something you don't like. Rather than allowing them room for growth or redemption, you just shut them out. Tribalism. Instead of seeking common ground, we end up in our own little tribes which become echo chambers. We reinforce polarization and hostility and division, spreading misinformation, highlighting the negative things about another person, only speaking negatively of other people, just focusing on the bad stuff, exacerbating the situation, not shutting down gossip, letting it spread, being one who actually spreads it. Lack of mercy, empathy, compassion, We, as a culture today, it's almost like we can't even work to empathize, to seek to even understand where the other person is coming from. We're so busy talking or arguing that we've forgotten how to to listen. 
and instead just vilifying people or distancing ourselves from them or just counterattacking them before we even have had any opportunity to just seek to understand. Unforgiveness is rampant today in our culture. You could be tempted to do it yourself if you go the way of the world. Holding grudges, rather than seeking to forgive, rather than giving grace, we perpetuate bitterness and resentment. We harbor hatred in our hearts. Dismissing the possibility of redemption, we write people off completely. People who have made mistakes, we see it as irredeemable. We hold perfectionistic standards, except for ourselves, by the way, to the degree that we don't allow people to make mistakes. We don't allow people to experience personal growth or change or even the opportunity to make amends. You guys know it, right? These things are true. This is the way our world encourages us to respond to our enemies. We are not called to go the way of the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In light of his great mercy toward us, there is a new way of Jesus that should mark our lives. And that way is marked by overcoming goodness. Straight from this verse, do not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with what? with good, overcoming goodness. So I wanna talk for a few minutes from, this, from these verses around this mark, overcoming goodness. And the question that I wanna answer is, as we study the text together, and my aim is just to show you the God's word, how do we do this? What does overcoming goodness look like? That's the command, but how do we do it? And there's four things in this section that I wanna show you. And I really believe, before I even go to this, before you start writing down, has anybody in this room been hurt by another person in the world? Why aren't y'all raising your hands? I guess they're on the inside, okay? We all have, right? We have all experienced hurt. We have all had people in ways come against us. We all know varying degrees of hostility and hatred. How in the world are we supposed to overcome with good, okay? What I'm about to show you here in this passage is it can change your life and it can change your relationships if you put these things to practice. Now the first thing is this, from the text, and I'll show you here in verse 19, the first thing you can do is you have to trust God. Trust God in this way. Trust that God is a judge and he will soon make all things right. The first way to live with overcoming goodness is you have to deeply in your heart know that there is a God and your God is a just judge. And your just judge who you trust will in the end be certain that all wrongs will be put right. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. That's kind of hard. How do you do that? But 
here's what you do. Leave it to the wrath of God. In other words, but, so rather than vengeance, we're gonna replace that with trust. But leave it to God. That's another word, surrender it to God. So instead of taking it to my own hands, I'm gonna surrender it to God. I'm gonna surrender it to God. Trust God, knowing the wrath of God, for it is written, he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. So we don't have to get even. Because there's one who cares for us, and there's one who cares for the world, and there's one who will bring justice. We have to know by looking to Jesus and the cross that God takes sin seriously. He does. And he will punish it. Peter, I don't have this scripture on the screen for you, but I hope you'll write down this reference. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. 1 Peter, if you've got your Bibles, actually, I encourage you to even turn over there because I want you to see this. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to put it on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Okay, hold your place in Romans. Very important verse. Because what Peter tells us is this is the way that Jesus lived. How did Jesus, in the face of so much hostility, in the face of so much hatred, in the face of people hurting him, not just emotionally, but physically lashing out at him to the point that they literally put him to death on the cross, though he had done no wrong, how is it that he could continue to give himself in the ways that he did? Here it is, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. In other words, deep in Jesus' heart, as people were lashing out at him, speaking ill of him, literally nailing him to the tree, was a trust that in the end, God will make it right. God will judge justly. So the first thing that we can do is to trust that God is a a just judge and he will soon make things right. The second thing we can do is this. We can forgive and release debt. The second thing we are called to do is to forgive and to release debt. Now I get this from this phrase right here. Verse 19 of chapter 12, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. I'm trying to write, and I don't know if it's gonna work. Nope, it's not. Y'all have to imagine me highlighting, okay? I'll do a Vanna wire right here. Never avenge yourselves, do you see it? <laughs> um, the opposite of this is to forgive. So you're, gonna, you're either going to make someone pay the debt that they owe you or you're going to release that debt. Every time somebody sins against you, it creates a debt. 
And the question is, are you going to make them repay that debt? Or are you going to release that debt? And what God calls us to is radical. Because in our flesh, every time somebody creates debt by sinning against us, what do we want to do? We want to repay the debt, don't we? Until your heart is melted by looking at your Savior upon the cross. Until your heart is melted knowing that you had a debt that needed to be repaid. And instead of making you pay it, he took that debt upon himself. Your sin debt was nailed to the cross in his body. And as it was, he said to you, Father, forgive them. When your heart is melted by the forgiveness of Jesus, by knowing that you know he has released your debt when he could have asked you to pay, then your heart becomes transformed. Such when other people come against you, you're no longer thinking, how do I get back at them? How do I get even with them? How do I make sure that they get what they deserve because of what they've done to me? No, our heart is melted by his forgiveness of us such that we become forgiving people when others come against us. Isn't this in the Lord's prayer itself? Matthew chapter six, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. The correlation, his forgiveness, and a life that lives forgiving as he has forgiven us. Forgive. Forgive. When you go repaying evil for evil, you lose the battle. You lose the battle with the other person, and really, you've lost the battle within yourself because you've allowed bitterness to grow in your heart. Unforgiveness is toxic within you and the relationship. God calls you to an overcoming goodness that's marked by his heart and his life toward you and his work on the cross and in the resurrection. He has forgiven you, so you now forgive as he has forgiven you. Third, how can you overcome evil with good? Seek reconciliation and not revenge. Seek reconciliation and not revenge. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, has anybody, it's, it's, it's so common, right, when other people wrong us to just like avoid them. Part of the way that we often like to show revenge is we give people the cold shoulder. Like you're texting me, I ain't gonna text you back. You're asking me over, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to respond to you. Or we see people in a common setting, even here at church even, and you, know, you could just kind of give them the cold shoulder, kind of avoid them, let them know. You know? And, and, and until, it's almost like revenge, because until you feel satisfied that they feel so uncomfortable with what they've done to you, you're not going to like give them your heart again, right? 
And I know, friends, saying what I'm about to say, I know that there are some hurts here. You know, there are sometimes we need to put up boundaries with other people because it would not be right for it to, to allow, to continue to allow another person to, to abuse us, to hurt us in such horrific ways. If there has been horrific abuse in a relationship, if there's toxicity there, that boundaries are needed, okay? But typically, typically, in our relationships, it's not to that level. And the command on our life is not to avoid the other person, but rather to move toward them. We are always, if you study, I, I've taught before on forgiveness here at our church, and if you study the command of Christ as it relates to what it looks like to pursue reconciliation with other people, here's what you'll find. Whether you have been wronged or whether are you the one who has wronged another, it is always on you to be the first mover toward reconciliation. Whether another person has sinned against you or whether you're the one that sinned against another person, you are always called to be the one who is the first one to move toward making peace. Why do you think it's always on us? Because again, our hearts are melted by the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that we are the one sheep that's gone astray. We know that he has left the 99 and he's come after us. We know that he was the first mover in our life. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. While you were yet a sinner, while you were still in your rebellion against him, while you, while you were giving him the cold shoulder, he's calling out to you from the other side of the room, hey, can we talk? He's moving towards you with grace. He's done the work for you in his cross. While you were still in sin, he died for you. So what does it look like to live in light of his mercy? It looks like when you know that there's something between you and another person, and maybe even today you sense it, it is on you. In light of his mercy toward you, his first movement toward you, it is on you to move toward that person to make things right. As far as it depends on you, the scripture says. Now there are sometimes the other person won't have it. And you can't make, you can't force a relationship to be reconciled. But you can posture your own self to do everything possible to make that reconciliation and restoration of relationship possible. You can humble yourself. You can, listen, when there's a fight, anybody here married? When there's a fight between you, <laughs> some of y'all are laughing, you know where I'm going. When there's a fight between you and your spouse, there's always something that you can apologize for. It takes two to tango. There's none of us perfect here. All of us, we proclaim the gospel, which means we are not perfect. We recognize our need for salvation, right? That's what it means to be gospel-proclaiming people. So it shouldn't be much, whether it's a marriage or friendship, a relationship with a, a, a coworker or a neighbor, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a student on your campus, it shouldn't, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't take much for us just to humble ourselves and to say, I'm so sorry. Not, I'm so sorry that you think I hurt you. I'm so sorry that our relationship is broken, and I know 
that I have a part in that, and I just want to do what I can to make peace. That is a gospel way to be a first mover and to be a reconciler just like that. Fourth, how can I practically overcome evil with good? The fourth way is just to show kindness. It's just to show kindness. Verses 19 and 20. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Here's what God's calling you to. With the person who's wronged you, do all you can do to just speak kindly to them and just to act kindly toward them. There's a phrase in Georgia that my mom taught me when I was a little boy growing up singing, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. She would say, kill him with kindness. Y'all ever heard that phrase? I don't know how good and biblical that is because it's actually speaking kill him. Um, I don't know that the scripture's teaching us to kill him, but the phrase here for by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. It's an interesting phrase. And it's a phrase that indicates that when you act differently in response to their sin, their wrong toward you, their hurt toward you, when you don't repay evil for evil, when you don't seek revenge like that, when you don't retaliate, when you don't walk the way of the world in the ways we were talking about earlier, when you offer love, when you seek reconciliation, when you continue to show up and to do good, when you're in a group and you speak good, there is, a, there is a way that God begins to work in your enemy's heart. There is a way that the person who has wronged you might be led to feel ashamed, might even be led to feel remorse, might even be rebuked by the light of God in your life. Don't underestimate what God can do when you live as a winsome witness. Even by your kindness, there is opportunity to bear witness. So look at this list real quick before we move to the next mark, all right? And I want you to think about relationships in your life. I know that I know that for many of us, there are some people in our life that drive us nuts. There are some people in our life who have hurt us. There are some people in our life who seem to perpetually come against us. And I'm asking, is your life marked by an overcoming goodness? Don't be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. Do you trust God or are you taking it to your own hands? Are you trying to get justice yourself or are you trusting that again he'll do a better job at it? 
have you forgiven? I mean, really forgiven. Are you, are you still holding on to that person's debt against you, or are you willing to release it? In your life, have you been a first mover? Are you sure you've done everything? Everything right now to be at peace? Is there anything more you could do to seek to live peaceably with them? To humble yourself and to serve for the sake of that relationship? And are you speaking kindly? And are you acting kindly? Are you doing all you can do to honor and to bear witness to Christ? If there's one of these today that you know that you know right now by the Holy Spirit's conviction, I need to grow in that. Maybe just circle that on your list. Maybe just put a star by it. Maybe mark that for conversation at lunch today or with your community group this week or with your family tonight at dinner. Maybe you surrender that to the Lord in prayer on a daily basis until you see him change you in that area. How does he change you? Look to Jesus. (laughs) Look to Jesus. Let your heart be melted by his mercy because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He forgave when you had debt against him. He is the one who came after you seeking reconciliation with you rather than revenge. And he has acted with total kindness. Let your heart be moved by his mercy. Amen? Number two. So we talked about overcoming goodness, all right? It's actually not number two, it's number five, excuse me. Number five. So we talked about the fourth mark here, overcoming goodness. The fifth mark in our conversation about winsome witness is this, submission to authority. The fifth mark of a transformed life, a life lived in light of his mercy, is a life that is lived submitting to authority. And here's what I mean by that. We'll look at it in the text. This is from Romans chapter 13, verses one to seven. It looks like living in such a way with governing authorities in your life that you show rightful submission to God by submitting to these authorities, all right? So one of the things that God wants in your life is he wants you to live as a winsome witness and one of the ways that he wants you to live as a winsome witness is by learning to be submitted to authority in your life. Specifically here, we're talking about government authority, but I'll show you in just a second where actually you can apply this, scripture applies this to all authority in your life. How you submit to authority, believe it or not, we're gonna be looking at this in practicality, but how you choose to submit to authority is one of the things that people are looking at in your life to tell whether or not the gospel is real. How does the world respond to authority? Well, this is not true of everybody, but if you look around in the culture today, you can certainly see that with a lot of people, there's disobedience, there's disdain, there's disrespect, all right? Look at examples of this. Um, You've got stuff like noncompliance, people deliberately speeding. Has anybody ever known anybody like that? I'm trying to be a little bit funny this, (laughs) but it's not funny, actually. Like deliberately not complying with simple laws and with big laws, not complying with mandates or regulations. A kind of civil disobedience. People like to rephrase this. God just sees it as disobedience. But noncompliance, 
defiance and resistance, actively, directly opposing, undermining decisions and directives of those who are in power, a complete disregard for laws, a complete lack of respect for laws, tax codes, regulations, housing authorities, homeowner associations. I'm speaking to myself here. This is a difficult one presently, all right? Mockery and satire toward government, officials, institutions, forms of media, social media, spreading misinformation, conspiracy theories, actually spreading lies or things that have not been proven to true about those who are in government positions, which undermine trust and undermine legitimacy and promote skepticism and promote hostility. Online attacks against government. You've seen this more and more in the cyber day, cyber attacks, trying to bring down government systems or bring down websites. Discrediting, distrusting, promoting skepticism and distrust trying to delegitimize actions or decisions of governments. And there's a lot of reasons why this stuff happens. First of all, rebelling against authority goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, all right? In our sin, we all have a rebellious tendency to rebel against authority. Secondly, in places like America, where free speech is promoted, we just go, well, I'll do whatever the heck I want. My freedom and my way, right? Third, it's really funny nowadays. People make a living on podcasts and TV shows to trash talk governments and to basically spread these kind of lies and stuff. And last, some, some of us have had bad experiences where you actually know bad government, and because of that, you actually have distrust, like real distrust. But what I want to remind you of this morning is that this command, Romans chapter 13, verse one, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. In this time, Paul is writing to Christians in Rome and Rome government ain't so good. In fact, it's being ruled by a guy named Nero. You ever heard of him in history? Horrible. Not a great political climate. And yet he's saying, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Hmm. Wow. Why? There's a couple of reasons I want to point out. These three reasons I give honor to uh, Tim Keller because these three reasons are the reasons that uh, long ago when I was first studying Romans, these were the very three reasons that I had written down uh, that he exposed as he was teaching through the text. Why does God call me to submit to authority? Number one, because it's right. Verses one and two, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, he's got in mind Daniel chapter four, verse 17, which says the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and he sets it over the lowliest of men. In other words, God sets up kings and God takes down kings. All human authority is under God's authority. So he's saying you've got to recognize that behind government authority is God's authority. And then he says in verse two, therefore, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, 
And those who resist incur judgment. So he's saying the first reason why you've got to recognize that it's important to submit to authority is because behind government authority is God's authority and he's called you to submit to him. He set this up. So don't rebel against the one who set this up for you because it's right. Secondly, and by the way, before I move to the second thing, um, submitting to authority is all throughout scripture. Titus chapter three, verse one, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work. First Peter two, 13 and 14, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor or supreme or the governor sent by him to punish those who do evil, praise those who do good. It's throughout the scripture, it's right. Secondly, because it's wise. Verses three and four, because it's wise. Verse three says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, then be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. In other words, he's saying, okay, God actually set up human society with a purpose. He set up governments, it was his idea. And the, and the reason he set it up here was that he would punish, the government would punish wrongdoing. Like when somebody steals, they get punished. Or when somebody murders, they get punished. When somebody's undermining a peaceful and harmonious society, the government comes in and is supposed to punish them. And the government is also supposed to promote the things that are good. Things that would cause us to behave rightly. Like don't be a maniac down North Parkway, right? Don't drive more than 25 miles per hour in a school zone. There's kids walking across the street, like don't hit a kid. So there's speed bumps and they drive us crazy when there's no kids there, but there's speed bumps there because they're trying to promote us being sane citizens in Memphis. Anybody? Okay. So this is, this is good. This is wise for us. So if you want to be a good citizen, if you don't want to be scared of the government, then do things that are right. Governments are needed to hold people accountable for wrong. This is how it is possible for us to have so many people and such condensed population in this area and for things to go well, supposedly. This is a wise way of governance that God has set up. They do not bear the sword in vain, in other words, the power to penalize or to imprison or even by the nature of the sword to put to death, that fear of the government is a good thing because it keeps human behavior in check, makes possible a flourishing society. Third, because it's fair. Because it's fair. You go, fair? Yeah, fair. Verses five and six. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. In other words, look, these folks are giving their whole life to this. There are people in this room right now whose full-time commitment is for the good of the city and they're paid by your taxes. We should support them. That's fair. They're giving their life for the good of this place that we call home. It is fair that we are submitted to them and supportive of them. We should respect those who are in such positions. It's good. 
and it's fair. So, why does God call me to submit? Because it's right, because it's wise, because it's fair. Now, does this mean submit in everything? Well, I just want to remind you, look at verse 7. The framework of govern, govern, submitting to government is this, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to them, taxes are owed, revenue to them, revenue is owed, respect to them, respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So there's a kind of framework here. Do you remember when Jesus looked at the guy who was trying, uh, the guy like brought the coin to Jesus and he was trying to trap Jesus, basically he was trying to get Jesus to say like, oh, don't pay taxes to Rome, they're bad. And the guy brought him the coin and Jesus' response was, look at the coin. Whose image is on the coin? So render to Caesar what's Caesar's. Caesar's image on the coin, so give that back to him. That's, that's the realm of his authority. But render to God what is God's. And what he's implying is, whose image is on you? So give to the government what is the government's, but make sure for you that you're continuing to give yourself to God. So of course, what we know is, as we think about this realm of submission to the government, that there is a limit to the ways we can submit. We are called to be submissive unless it violates the image of God that is on us. And in which case, we have to fear God above the emperor, 1 Peter 2, 17. Just like Peter in Acts chapter five, verse 29, said we must obey God rather than men, where they were prohibiting them from spreading the gospel. So when it violates a clear commandment of God, then we respectfully cannot submit. But most of the things, friends, that we're talking about in the realm of our submission to government are not violating the clear command of God because here's, here's the things that we can do to live as winsome witness in this area. And I really believe as we consider this this morning that there are many of us who have room to grow. How can we do this? We can be thankful for God's design in the government. Has anybody thanked the Lord lately for the city government? Why are you chuckling? I'm being serious. Do they have room to grow? Yes, they do. Yesterday at Miss Cordelia's, the colonel of the North Main Precinct Station was there. They were having a cookout for first responders. I went. I went to say thank you. Do I think there are things in our community that need to change? Yes, I do, as a citizen here, and also as a pastor and advocate here. But am I thankful that there are men and women who run into areas of danger to help protect all of us? I'm not doing that. I'm thankful that they are, aren't you? Are you thankful for the police department? Are you thankful for the mayor's office? Are you thankful for MLGW? Are you thankful for the judges who serve here? Are you thankful for X, Y, and Z? Expressing gratitude for God's system of governments. Imagine if, if there was no government at all. Mayhem. Learn to be thankful. Have you prayed for those in leadership? When's the last time you have prayed for leaders here in our city, leaders in our country? Even when you don't respect the person or the politics, you can and are called to respect the position. And you are called to pray for them. First, that's, yeah, First Timothy 2. Pray for those who are in authority. Make intercession for them. Pray that God would give them wisdom in their leadership. Pray for those who are in leadership. Be a good citizen by paying your taxes. Anybody want to say amen to that? None of us do, okay? I feel guilty about this this week. I realized this week 
I have been delaying getting a tag renewal for my wife's car. And I've been delaying because I've been seeing the lines at the, y'all know what I'm talking about, down at the courthouse. I don't want to do that. I feel like my time is more valuable than that. I repent of that publicly before you. I'm going to get that done probably this week. We need, probably. (laughs) We'll have to see how the lines are, you know. I'll get it done this week, all right? Thank you for catching me on my crap. Now, you laugh at me, but I want to look at you. Where are you delaying obedience to governing authorities? Where are you cutting corners? Of all people in Memphis, we should be the people who pay on time, who are dependable, who clean up the sidewalks, who do the right thing. When we're asked to do it, we should comply. We should be good citizens of this city and of our nation. We are called to do that for the sake of the gospel. We are called to be respectful. We are called to engage in governance, have conversations, show up at the voting booth for the common good, seek the peace, Jeremiah 29 said, of the city, for in its welfare you'll find your welfare. We're to rest in God's providence. We don't freak out when our party or our candidate does not get elected because we know that God is bigger than elephants and donkeys. We know that the good of the society does not rest on the governing party in the White House. It rests on the mercies of God. We don't get overly excited or overly depressed about political stuff because our hope is not in being a citizen of the USA. Our hope is being a citizen of the kingdom of God and God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And we make our ultimate allegiance, Jesus. I want to ask you, do you live as a winsome witness in the world in this area? Where can you grow? When your neighbors see you, see, our homeowner association has fees. They know who pays fees and knows who doesn't. They had fees sitting around 50 to 60% lately. 50 to 60% of, our, of my neighbors don't pay their homeowner association dues on time. If I were to be on the list of those who don't pay, and they, I'm one of the few Christians in my neighborhood, what, how do you think that would bear witness to Christ? See, we gotta think about this. Our submission to governing authorities in your workplace, in your school place, in our government at large, in this church, our willingness To trust God and to honor leaders does bear witness. It should bear witness to Jesus Christ. You got it? Last but not least, and I'll make it quick. Be known for good. Paul closes this section in verses 8 to 14 as I close my message. By just saying, look, in your neighborhood and in your community, you just need to display Jesus. This is a way of summarizing, okay? Just display Jesus. <laughs> Become a great doer of good. And, and, I, and, I, and I go back to what I started with in Matthew 5. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine. Let other people see your good work and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Owe nothing to anyone, verse 8. No one anything except to love each other for the one who loves 
has fulfilled the law. He's going straight from saying, that which you owe the government, get the government. But what do you owe your neighbor? He's using that connection. Give taxes to him, taxes to do, respect to him, respect to do. But what about your neighbor next door? What about your coworker? What about your friend? What do you owe them? Here's what you owe them. Love them. Love them as he has loved you. You want to know how to fulfill the Ten Commandments? Love. Love God. Love neighbor. All the horizontal commandments related to others can be summarized in this. Love your neighbor. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. We are to be people who are known by our love. This is the debt that we have to one another. You don't pit the law of God and love because love fulfills the law. When you love people, you will fulfill the law. For all the commandments can be summed up in this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, to do this, you need some perspective. You've gotta recognize that right now, friends, right now, 2023 Memphis, the end is coming soon. Jesus is at hand, and I'm not a doomsdayer when I'm talking about this, and I'm not trying to predict a day or an hour. I'm just saying what Paul says. He is nearer to come now than he was a few seconds ago. Time is running out. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How are you displaying Jesus to those who desperately need Jesus right now in your time? Some of y'all are not gonna be in Memphis forever. You're not gonna live around your neighbors that you're around right now forever. You're not gonna be around these coworkers forever. You're not gonna be in this stage of life with your kids forever. How are you making the most of the time? You know that the time, the hour has come. You gotta wake up from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night's gone, the day's at hand, so let's cast off works of darkness and let's put on armor of light. Let's walk properly as in the daytime, not orgies and drunkenness, sexual morality and sensuality, not quarreling or jealousy. No, God has called us to wake up, to recognize only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you gotta ask yourself, if Jesus were right in front of me right now, how would I behave? Right now, what is most eternally important? Right now in this moment, what will last forever? Remember Jesus Christ. Have y'all ever gotten dressed up for a wedding? Like tuxedo, gown? Do you like it or do you not? I happen to love it. I feel fancy, y'all know what I'm talking about? You like get all like dressed up and you're like, dang, I look good, you know? Am I the only one? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. But it just gives you this like sense of like, wow. And because you're dressed up in that way, it almost changes your behavior in a way, does it not? I mean, it's kind of weird if you have on like a tuxedo to like walk into McDonald's, you know? It makes me feel like I need to at least like, you know, think about like where I'm going and how I'm behaving and et cetera. What, what Paul's saying is think about that you are clothed in Christ. You are clothed in Christ. Recognize how you look to the world 
and wake up and recognize who you are and how you speak and how you act and how you live out, how you do good to those who are around you. It matters because they see you clothed in Christ, identifying with him. And because you're clothed in Christ, make no provision for the flesh, but rather make much of Jesus. So, I call you to be known for good. As we close today, we think about these three marks, overcoming goodness and submission to authority and being known for good. I just ask you, is this how your life is known? Where are the ways that you can grow closer to Jesus and closer to displaying Jesus in a world that needs to know who he is? Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.